Hello, and welcome to the Christian Single Moms podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly from Agape Moms, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. I think the topic that we're going to cover is just so important and so inspiring. We're talking a little bit about stories and how our stories and the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we tell other people can can really be a source of healing. The other thing I'm excited that we're talking about here today is just sort of a diversity of experiences when it comes to single motherhood. You know, I realize that kind of one of the short-sighted parts of this podcast in the past has been that I think I've come at this as from my angle as far as being a divorced woman who had, you know, been married for almost two decades and then all of a sudden, you know, kind of went through this life shift. But that's not the only story that there is when it comes to the single mother experience. And that's just something that, you know, whether it's a woman who became a young mom or a woman who was widowed, that's something that I want to make sure that we're drawing in all variety of different experiences when it comes to being a single mom. So today on the podcast, I have a really wonderful guest. Her name is Camille Joy, and she is the voice of the Moments of Joy podcast. She's just such an awesome woman of God, and she has a really wonderful story of really beauty for ashes when it comes to single motherhood and redemption Uh, of her life and her story. And so I'm really excited to bring you this interview. Before we jump in, I want to make sure that I tell you about our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. They are such a wonderful resource if you're looking for Christian counseling. It's so easy and so convenient. You jump on an app and you're able to meet with a Christian counselor on your time, on your schedule, and it really is just something that I find that having a counselor and having someone to work through some difficult things with is just such an awesome tool for the toolbox. So if you jump on to getfaithful.com slash single mom, you're actually going to get 10% off your first month. So make sure that you jump on there and check out Faithful Counseling. So before I have our guest on, I'd like to tell you a little bit about Camille. Camille Joy is a voice of hope to the brokenhearted mommy. As the host of the Moments of Joy podcast, she comes to shine a ray of light into dark places through simply spreading the love of Jesus and the joy of the Lord. Camille desires to be a hope for broken mothers. She has dedicated herself to helping women to live, fight, and persevere through difficult times, supporting them with strategic prayer and physical support. And can I tell you, this woman can pray. Camille has overcome what was meant to kill and permanently derail her life at an early age and stands today as an accomplished woman. She truly believes that if you can dream it, you can achieve it. Your past does not define your future. A teen mom, high school dropout, survivor of domestic abuse, and ultimately a witness to God's restoration and power. She embodies strength and spews out joy, I can say that for sure. Through the many trials and hard times that she's gone through, she's still managed to keep her joy and believes that you can too. So I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did with Camille Joy. Thank you, Camille, so much for joining us today. I'm really excited that you're on. Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor to be here today. Great. Well, I wanted to start out, um, I've listened to your podcast and I love how you often talk about the importance and the power of telling personal stories and our stories and our journey. So I wondered if you would just share with the listeners, can you tell us about your journey as a single mom and how God has revealed himself to you in that season of your life? Yes, my journey was quite lengthy, (laughs) but I grew up um, in a city of um, Bridgeport, Connecticut, and I grew up with 
two parents who raised me in a house to love and serve the Lord. They were both ministers in church, but I decided in high school that that wasn't the way that I wanted to go. I wanted to be popular. I wanted to, you know, be of the world. And so that's kind of what I dove into. Mm-hmm. Um, so at 16 years old, I became a mom. So that means I was pregnant at 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just thinking back as recently as to, you know, when I, con- when you contacted me, I really, you know, you go through life and you kind of go through so fast, you don't really have time too much to really think back deeply on you really being a child and mm-hmm. having a child. Mm-hmm. And, but that's really um, what happened. So at 16 years old, my junior year in high school, I was going into high school as a mom. Um, and in the inner city that I lived in, it wasn't weird or, you know, an unfamiliar thing for teenagers to get pregnant. And so much so that it became a course in your high school class. So if you had a child, you had the opportunity, there were limited seats, but you had the opportunity to bring your child to school with you. Oh, I see. So there was, mm-hmm, there was a daycare, but the daycare became one of your periods, one class where they would teach you how to take care of your baby. And, you know, I came from a home with two parents, but there were young girls who, you know, had other experiences, Sure. you know, whose parents may have been on drugs or really could not teach them how to take care of their children. Mm -hmm. Um, So this um, stood in the gap, that gap. And so I went to high school and I continued to kind of get on the right path. But then in my senior year, um, one day going to work, I worked at a local grocery store. I met a guy who was very fancy, flashy, and he was driving a red Range Rover and, you know, asked me out on a date. Mm-hmm. And so I, he looked cool. So I went out on a date with him, but I believe that that was just um, a setup from the enemy but as we know you know God uses all things for his mm-hmm. good anyway but mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it was so I w- began to date this guy and um I thought that he was only a f- uh, I was 17 at the time so I thought he told me he was 27 um I continued to date him which that is still too old for me to date as at 27 mm. but uh by this time I had been um, given his car to drive to school sometimes. How cool was that? I thought anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a gold ring on every finger. I was just I had any amount of money that I would ask for. So I just kind of took on this um, thought that I was really grown. Mm-hmm. And so, um, well, that's a very, very appealing lifestyle for it is. a lot of people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. It really is. So I just ended up dropping out of high school and just running, um, the streets with him. And, um, he was a hustler. So what that means is Mm. he, he, he didn't sell drugs, but he didn't get money a legal way. I Um, see. I see. If Mm -hmm. that makes any sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, so I ended up dropping out of high school three months before I was even to graduate mm-hmm. and continuing um, a relationship with him. Um, and at the time, my son was one and a half years old, and I left my son at my mom's house to kind of be raised by my parents mm-hmm. while I went to go follow this dream man. Mm-hmm. Um, so shortly after 
I moved in with him, things became to became a little sour. Um, things got a lot more controlling. And so, you know, red flags of an abusive relationships are, um, are obsessively asking you, where are you going? Who are you going? Who, who are you going with? Who are you talking to right. when you're coming home? You know, did anyone try to, uh, you know, get with you or, mm-hmm. you know, talk to you or kind of a jealous control. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are things to really pay attention to because mm-hmm. as a young person, you think, or maybe an older person, you may think that, you know, it's just that they really love you, but right. that's not it. That's right. Yeah. And that's one of the things about abusive relationships that are, it makes mm-hmm. it so hard to identify is it does sort of look like, wow, this person's really into me or they really love me. Yeah. They want to know all of these little bitty details and it's, it's not that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And so that's how it started. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it went from that to being um, emotionally abusive and than physically abusive Mm -hmm. over the years and so I was in a relationship with him and it really went by so fast for five years and I had more children so I had one at 19 20 and my last at 21 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so by the time the relationship got to the end and I was 21 years old I I began to just really go back to my roots and I knew that I was in a situation that only God could help me get out of because mm-hmm. I had nothing because I dropped out of high school. You know, I felt like a fool if I would ever go back to my parents' house, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just really felt stuck. So, you know, I would always play my Kurt Franklin CD. You know, I know a lot of people feel mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. maybe they don't like Kurt Franklin. Oh, I love Kurt Franklin. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I do because he's the only CD that I had that was Christian at the time Mm. um, when I wasn't really serving the Lord or thinking about him. Mm. And I would just play his CD and pray to God and ask him to get me out of the situation. And I promised that if I got out, I would not come back. Mm. Now, there's a statistic about abusive women. And I believe I read that they leave 20 times before the actual time that they leave. And that's true. Uh-huh. So over the course of um, maybe uh, six months, I, I, you know, I left, I called domestic violence shelters, I would end up coming back, I, you know, because the reality sets in that you really have nothing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you have children. But yeah, um, it's that fear too of what's going to happen to me and my kids and how am I going to make it through and then sometimes they're they're reeling you back in too. Say, yeah, oh, I love you. I love you. That was it. Back. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was it. That's the yeah. bigger part too. Yep. <laughs> No. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's not just you deciding what's my uncertain future going to look like. It's mm-hmm. this this force that's kind of reeling you back in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then your heart still loves the person. Right. So I remember very vividly as a teenager, you know, talking about abusive relationships with my mom and saying, I would never be in an abusive relationship mm-hmm. because we see it on TV all the time, but it just sneaks up on you. Yeah. It, it doesn't look like you think it's going to look sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's especially when there's emotional abuse involved, it's that absolutely. really steady undercurrent that just keeps you kind of confused. Mm-hmm. And then there's the emotional part of that, that it's like, even if you know something is wrong, yeah. a person who's usually in that situation is a, a, a deep hearted, loving, caring person. It doesn't want to see this thing fall apart. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to, to step away 
in that situation. And you're not really a healthy whole woman. Mm, You know, mm -hmm. you have rude, deep rooted issues. Like I found out that my son's father was not indeed 10 years older than me when I had my first son. So I Mm -hmm. was 18 with him. Mm -hmm. um, When I had, I was 19 when I had my first son by him, Mm -hmm. but then I found out he was 42 and I didn't find out by until I saw the birth certificate. So here I was. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Here I was with this man who was a fraud in the same age as my mother. Oh, wow. Well, and that's the other thing is oftentimes when this stuff reveals itself, you're already neck deep in it that you're like, what am I going to do now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I had, I had created a life where I was so emotionally withdrawn because Mm -hmm. I smoked marijuana all the time. Mm -hmm. And any person that's on drugs, you use the drugs for even, you know, marijuana, it's a recreational drug, but it is a drug. Mm -hmm. And, and, And that drug will minimize any emotion that you really feel mm-hmm. it's numbing it, it is it's mm-hmm. very numbing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely so was there an aha moment so you were listening to the Kirk Franklin CD and saying Lord I'm not going to go back and you know if I can if you can get me out of this so tell me about that yes there was definitely an aha moment um the aha moment thank you for really me back no that's fine <laughs> The aha moment was when I um, was talking about going back to school with him and anytime I would talk about furthering my education or doing something with my life, it would infuriate him. So mm-hmm. we got into an argument and I I had my, um, two, my two-week-old baby in my hand and he got up and to punch me in my head and so I was breastfeeding at the moment and and there was not anything that I could do to defend myself so at that moment I I realized that I had to leave like Mm -hmm. right now my Mm -hmm. my two-year-old said daddy you hit mommy and he said yeah she was a bad girl oh my oh gosh so that was the moment that I knew I had to run for my life Mm -hmm. um so that he would punch me in my head in front of all my children. Yeah. So I, be, I started to pack bags. Um, I took care of the kids mostly. You know, he didn't really get them dressed or change a diaper. So I started to pack um, bags of clothes into the closet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one day my mom came to visit randomly and the door was open for me to leave um, and go to my mom's house. I didn't really have a good relationship with her. Since I had the baby, she started to come visit more and uh, we started to bond and she started to put plugs in and say, you can come home whenever you want. And I took her up on that offer that day mm-hmm. in the midst of an argument, in the midst um, of him cussing um, me out right in front of my mom when she came over. Um, I called her back when she left and I said, mom, would you come back and get me? She pulled back around to my house and pouring, raining cats and dogs. I pulled those bags out of the closet that I had been storing and I left with the kids and I never came back that day. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Pretty 
like dramatic escape moment. Sounds like <laughs> it really was. Yeah, my gosh. It really was. Yeah. But I was so happy um, to be going to my mom's house, and my sisters were um, coming back to her house as well. One was in Georgia, and one was coming from college. So I had the support system to make it. Mm, wow, that's well, and it sounds like in the, so in the midst of this, there was not just a, a restoration for then that came for you and your children, but then the relationship in your family as well. Absolutely. And we all begin to just, you know, chase after God, Mm. you know, um, and really just go to church together and really pray together and, you know, anoint the children together. And um, it was a wonderful time of of rebuilding for our whole family. Wow. Wow. That's, gosh, that's so inspiring. So, so then now you're out and you're, your you have four children at this point absolutely and they're all between the ages of I mean they're they're um, littler right. right yep so they were six um four three and the baby okay about up to one month or so okay and so yep. what what then did your journey look like to the point where you are now well it it was not easy so I going to my mom's we didn't have a room. Um, so because she had been taking care of my son this whole time that mm. I did, I said, I left there. So now I was coming back to assume my position with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he had a room and my older sister had a room. So there was really not space for us to have a room. So we put two couches together and that's how we kind of lived for about six or seven months. But I started to go to a church who, owned this really big house. It used to be a house that they would use as a re-entry program for men and women, but mm-hmm. they didn't have that program anymore. So the pastor of the church let me rent this house for just a little money. So we lived in this seven bedroom house and it was such a blessing. So uh, not long after that, um, we ended up moving out of mom's house. Um, I went back to culinary school and during this time, I just really, really, really um, got mentored by that pastor Mm. and um, learned how to communicate with God, learned how to fast and learned how to study the word. That was really a place of um, development. And um, it didn't last forever because she ended up having to sell her house. And and when this happened, we had to move to the projects Mm -hmm. because I was still in culinary school. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't ha- I couldn't get a full-time job and have my children mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so what what low-income housing does is take your income and give you a rent base on your income. So it can be anywhere to from nothing to a thousand dollars just based on whatever you need. You're making. Mm-hmm. 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 So um that's that's where we went in. It was it was hard because you know, thinking back right now, um, I live in the state of Texas in the suburbs and it's beautiful, but there you could be asleep one night and awakened abruptly by gunshots, mm. or you could be awakened abruptly by five people screaming and yelling and fighting on a Tuesday mm. night when you have to go to work in the morning. Yeah. You could be waking up by someone bashing a car into a building because they stole it or they're drunk driving it. Mm-hmm. or you could be 
it, it was just a it's lot. chaotic. Yeah. It's and very chaotic. Right. And, and you're raising kids in the midst of this too. So it's not just mm-hmm. that you're being woken up. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're, I know that even I have the, the fear sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and hear a sound and it's like, yeah. it's just me and my kids. Like if yeah. something happens, it's just me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yep. So oh. it's a lot to press through, but this mm-hmm. is where my prayer, um, prayer time with God really developed and him, you know, I would dream about what I wanted and really pray about what I wanted. Um, but then, um, in the midst of this, also me, my life coming back together, um, their father came for custody of the children. Um, and he won custody mm-hmm. of three of my children. Um, despite the fact that he was still a hustler and he had numerous amounts of other children, you know, different states have different laws. Mm-hmm. And so for a long time, um, I had to live without the children. I fought um, for two and a half years. And so this time I entered into um, a place of deep depression. And this is and this is where I had to really learn to fight the enemy back because I was going to die. Mm. If you could imagine my home was joyful, you know, four children, it's a very lively home mm-hmm. for four boys too. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, and it, it may have been difficult, but you were making it happen and you mm-hmm. have just all of this life and then all of a sudden how, how quiet and just lonesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because although we lived there, we weren't, we weren't of that place, you know, so sure. mm-hmm. we, we, my mom lived very close. So we would always go to her house. Um, she didn't live in the projects, but she lived close in close proximity. Um, so we, I still went to church. I still went to school. I still kept positive people around me. Um, so it, it helped to just be able to live, even though you're living in an unbearable place. It was that Um, anchor for you. It sounded like. Yes, it was. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was. Mm -hmm. Um, and during this time, I would have to call my mom at two and three in the morning, just crying and sobbing. And, you know, sometimes I didn't even have words to say to her, but I would just ask her to pray because I'm going to die. Yeah. Cause you because were not the seeing pain. them at all, right? No, no. Yeah. At that point I was not seeing them at all. And even though we had joint legal custody, he would just refrain, hold them from me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so it was just a lot to take in because this is also your abuser. Yeah. Not like a normal. No. So, so he's still using it to torment and abuse you. Right. Right. And that right. just every confrontation then and every, every mm-hmm. everything is just magnified by that. Absolutely. God. Okay. Absolutely. So, so at this point, so this is, is, it sounds like this is probably one of the lowest points then. Oh, that was the lowest point. Yeah, yeah. The lowest point, yep. And so tell me about how, you know, how you stepped through that, how you got through that. Yeah, I just started to um, speak back to the enemy myself and um, really direct, you know, my prayers to God, but then direct my words to him. You know, I am not going to die and really, you know, start binding him and start warring against um, darkness and and. Um, the demons that he was sending to take me out and take my lineage. I, I just started to war um, because while we were at my mom's house, that's what she would do. She would pray. She would, she would, um, even though we didn't feel like it, she would say, Hey guys, we're grown. The kids are here. We're having prayer Monday night. You guys don't have to pray. All you have to do is lay on the floor. I don't care, but we're going to pray. Mm. And so here is where I learned 
what it sounds like to really pray. Um, and so I was able to really, um, you know, mimic that in, in our own way, because we all pray in our own way. But I think I, I shifted from prayer to really like becoming a prayer warrior. Warrior. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I'll interject here. Like if, yes. you're li- if you want to listen to a woman who is an awesome <laughs> prayer warrior, like check out Camille's podcast because she'll do it right there. It's great. <laughs> yes. Thank you so yeah. much. Mm-hmm. And really um, use that to. Um, bring myself back to life. So Mm. after a while, I was able to pick my head up and um, just listen to his directions. And, you know, over the course of time, I then would begin to see them a little here, there. And then over the course of time, um, you know, rebond with them. But um, also during that time, I met my husband. And so it was really weird. I met him at church and I almost didn't want to date him mm-hmm. because my kids weren't home. So oh. it was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but I allow God to give me joy through him. I call him my angel because I met him during my darkest time. Mm. And God sent me um, someone to make me smile wow. and kind of distract me um, from that. Yeah. And so well, to help have... carry you through it, right? Like, yes, yeah, absolutely. an encourager and mm-hmm. wow, that's so awesome. <laughs> and I still had my oldest son because remember my oldest son right. wasn't, wasn't mm-hmm. from him. So I still had him and he was a really good kid and um, a good sports player. So I, um, you know, just focused on him. Mm-hmm. And, and so we got married. We didn't have a wedding because like I said, it, it was weird for me. Mm-hmm. even just moving on. And well, cause you're in a mourning process still and a, right. and a hurting process. So the celebration mm-hmm. probably didn't feel like it was like, like they right. really went together. So even at this point, we, I, it had already been four years when I got married to my husband that mm-hmm. they had been gone. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, even though I smiled on the outside, it, it's always morning when they're not with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You always carry that heaviness when they're not with you. And so I got married to him and we had another child and um, yeah, God just began to put, put things back together again. And um, soon, a couple years after that, I started to get the children every weekend. So, um, and then it was like no restrictions. God kind of also helped me to learn through prayer how to, um, gain victory over the enemy mm-hmm. concerning my kid's father and, and that my children situation uh, because there would be days where I would go visit them and and here's another part I was a full-time chef and executive chef and because he had them I, I'd pay him child support oh my gosh <laughs> oh my goodness yep so I never missed a beat I wasn't a deadbeat I never fell behind um and but what would make me mad is when I would go see them, sometimes they wouldn't have sheets on their bed. Yeah. Oh and they gosh. didn't even, they lived in a good area with their dad. And so I had to learn to not react in the situation, in the moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And come home and literally fall on my face and cry and pray. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. say, God, do you see me? Yeah. Do you see what is happening? And so just years and years and years and years of praying um, for them. But 
God ended up turning that situation around. So just recently, one of my children, um, he, I ended up going back to Connecticut just under the unction of the Holy Spirit and Mm -hmm. ended up gaining full custody of him Mm -hmm. and, and was going back to address the other ones, but then COVID happened. Oh no. And so, but, but I, I believe that things are going to turn into a place where there's not even going to need to be a court because mm-hmm. although there was a report back date, dad mm-hmm. was like, you know, I don't even want to fight this anymore. This is God's doing it. And he's not mm-hmm. even a believer. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> yep. His words, his words were for me to, um, fight it means that I'm allowing the enemy the devil to use me so this is God's doing so I was like well God I know that's you because he doesn't believe in God Mm, wow he he has his (laughs) own religion that he made up that he believes but (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm. but that's just that's that's such a testament to your relationship with the Lord that someone who's not connected to that can see it and say, I don't, I don't want to yeah. fight that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's 13 now and, I, and my oldest, he's 19 and mm-hmm. he was blessed to go to school and have a full scholarship um, playing basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, well, just about, well, it's about 75% oh, wow. um, playing basketball and the other two, everybody loves basketball and they're yeah. six, 16 and 15. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. so we talk every day. They're there every day. Oh, you know, we're yeah. very involved with each other. And well, so and, and I just so, believe that my house will be full. Yeah. I just know that God is a restorer. Yes. And that he will restore the years that the canker worm is stolen. Mm-hmm. So he even reminds me, like, you know, children are children, but for a short time. Yeah. But you will have them for the rest of your life. When they get older and they get married and they have children, I'm going to be the one who they come to for holidays. Mm. I'm going to be the one, you know, they call for advice and prayer and who's very involved with them. I just believe that my children will be around me like I was around my parents. Well, that's so encouraging that you say that, Camille, because I think, and I get into this a lot too, sort of feel like everything feels like it's slipping away. The years that you have with them younger just slip mm-hmm. away and they don't, they're not going the way you thought they were going to. And yeah. you just feel like you blew it, you know? And mm-hmm. I just love what you're saying though, that it's like, they're still your children, even when they're grown, there's still yeah. so much to look forward to with them. Even if yeah. this season is not perfect. Absolutely. That's because so great. I, talk, I talk to my mom every day now. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were times when I was in this relationship that I didn't talk to her for eight months at a time. When mm-hmm. I was pregnant um, with my last child, you know, before my marriage, mm-hmm. um, she, I, I saw her when I was eight months pregnant and she didn't even know. Oh, wow. But God healed and restored. And yeah. We just all love each other. So. Well, and what I love too, though, Camille, also is that it's so apparent in your life and in your story that God does restore and that now you're allowing that story to be something that heals other women and other people who are going through this kind of thing. Yeah. And it's so ugly that I I was so ashamed for so long. I I would forbid my family to even share what I was going through. So Mm -hmm. even people who were family members, like a cousin or aunt or an uncle, they didn't even know that my children weren't with me. Mm. Mm-hmm. only my immediate family knew because I, I wore my smile and you know they only knew just a little bit yeah 
So what shifted though, that, that shame finally came off of you that you're like, I'm going to tell this story now. I'm going to let everybody know what's going on. About two years ago, God just began to deal with me and um, helped me to see that it wasn't my fault. Um, Nothing about the story was my fault and that there was freedom in sharing. It, It just lifts the burden of the shame off of your shoulders you know it's it's hard to share one time but when you share the second time when you share the third time it just becomes more and more you know comfortable for you to share and just receive that you know this is your story and everyone has a story Mm -hmm. and some people's story are uglier than others Mm -hmm. but there's someone else out there that is going through what you're going through. When I began to open up, there, there were so many women who my friends would send to me and say, she lost her children in the custody battle. I mean, wealthy women, mm-hmm. single women, um, you know, all kinds of women that this happens to in America, they lose custody of their children for no good reason. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the father can walk away and, and, um, they won't have the kids, but, Mm -hmm. but I was able to minister to a lot of women from a place of actually knowing, because that's, that's a sensitive topic too. It's not a lot of understanding in it because when it happens, a lot of people don't speak about it because it's so shameful. Mm -hmm. Um, But so I was able to help them to walk through it and, you know, say, you know, you don't want to take that route out of bush, just pray Mm -hmm. and see, you know, if you want to do this. And and I would encourage a lot of people not even to go to court for Mm -hmm. custody issues, just pray and ask God to help you to deal with it on outside of court. Yeah, I've had actually in in my prayer time, I've I've Mm -hmm. ended up with a very similar understanding of certain issues that there are times when you may need to stand up and there may be times where you need to choose your battles and there may be that it's not going to go well for you if you go through the court system. Yes. And Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody's situation is different. Every circumstance is different. You know what that is when you're walking with God about it, but Mm -hmm. that it's not always, I think culturally we're kind of taught to just like, ah, just go to court, buckle it all down. And there's different ways to handle things. Absolutely. Well, and I, I was listening to another podcast that you were on and I loved, you said something along the lines of people often think that they can't tell their story until they kind of got to the end of it mm-hmm. and that you're an advocate for people talking about it when they're in that messy middle. Absolutely. It, it, it lifts the burden and um, you don't have to wait until it looks all picture perfect because I was sharing that I didn't have them when I didn't have them. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I knew that God would restore so that helped me to continue to believe even more that he will restore. Mm-hmm. But I knew that my children would come. Well, I moved from Connecticut to Texas last year in September. So not even a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, God, um, he told me and my husband to move and we moved in August. And I had to, I was giving God an ultimatum and I was saying, I, I can't go, God. Why, why would you have me go all the way there? My kids are here. Mm-hmm. This is ridiculous. Yeah. But but he said you you will go and you will um, continue to hold on to my promise and trust me. And six months after I got here, what I had been praying for for years was released to me. Wow, wow, mm-hmm. gosh! And that seems like the most unlikely circumstance, right? Like I'm moving halfway the most, across the country. <laughs> the most unlikely circumstance, oh. but but I got into a place here with just deeper communication with God, and He led me to go back 
to Connecticut. Yeah. And I told my husband, it sounds ridiculous, but I feel like the Lord is saying I need to go to Connecticut for three weeks. So he, he really, when I say God said something, he really trusts me. And he said, well, you gotta go. So I booked mm. a one way ticket Wow. <laughs> for me and my baby. Mm-hmm. And we went And three days after I got there, I was having to assume the position, call the authorities, go to court and get my son. Wow. So you were there at the right time. Three days after wow. I got there. Wow. <laughs> Three days. That is nothing but God. Oh, wow. Wow. And, wow, I, wow. and I didn't even really want to be there when I got there because I had to, I stayed with my parents and I was like, um, I'm not staying here. We need to go to a hotel. You know, after a while you get used to not being with your parents. Oh, sure. <laughs> So like, my I need dad, a little breathing room here. <laughs> yeah, my dad's a little older and he likes to wake up at three or four in the morning. So he's making a lot of noise. <laughs> no, you're like, I have a toddler. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't need help waking up at three a.m. Absolutely. So <laughs> it, sometimes you have to get very uncomfortable to receive yeah. the promises that God wow. has for you. Oof, that's a word. That's good. I like that. Yeah, because I almost, I almost missed it. Mm. I was going back home. <laughs> wow. Well, like, and mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead. I kept saying I can't stay here for three weeks, but I didn't need to. God you didn't need to really quick. Wow, 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 wow. Mm-hmm. Well, and so in in the midst of telling your story too, and you've even mentioned here, you know, domestic violence is a piece of that, and I think that's another space where a lot of women feel a lot of shame or confusion. They don't know how to talk about it. They don't know what end is up sometimes to know which end they're on sometimes it's like well am I the one who's abusing or is he the one who's abusing and that kind of stuff um so on that subject can you say can you talk a little more about that as far as telling those stories and what is something that maybe you wish that you know women or the greater culture or church really understood about the nature of abuse and these types of relationships so that you know and men are certainly can be, you know, um, targets in that situation too, but so that there can be an increased understanding and, and healing available to people who are going through that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that, um, we should, we should remove the judgment, um, so that people that are in these situations would feel so comfortable to come to us, um, you know, and share what they're going through. Mm -hmm. Um, and it doesn't have to always look like a black eye mm-hmm. or a busted lip, but sometimes these relationships, abusive relationships, never really even get physical. They're just extremely controlling where someone can't even move or breathe, mm-hmm. where, um, you know, they're called fat and ugly or, um, you know, stupid or right. called a B word or mm-hmm. You know, those are abusive relationships. Yeah. You know, if you're you're in a relationship and someone calls you out of your name, that's not healthy. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think sometimes when we get into arguments, it's easy to accept certain things. Yeah. But um, I just want, <clears throat> I think that we should be open to educating ourselves on domestic violence, how, how, um, how it begins, because most people who are in a domestic a domestic violence relationship it begins in high school 
Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, it yes. really does. It believe mm-hmm. it begins when they're 15, 16, and 17 years old. So yeah. really teaching those youth um what healthy relationships look like and you know, you know, boys and girls. Yeah. Well, so and I think um one of the things that you mentioned in your story that I see so commonly is that it doesn't, people think that abusive relationships look abusive from the beginning. Uh And oftentimes they look actually very fairy tale. They look very um, glamorous and, oh my gosh, he loves me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's this kind of love bombing stage that a lot of it starts with only then for that person to be completely reeled in and then for the trouble to really start and for that person to not feel like they know how to get out. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you know, it can be, it doesn't have to always be physically symptomatic. It can be something that is going on internally. And it's really easy if there's an argument to say, oh, I just said that because I was mad. And for yep. the person who's being abused to go, oh yeah, that sounds reasonable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to just keep yep. on with it and absolutely. get stuck. Yeah, Absolutely. And then you're in a toxic relationship. And then when there's children involved or maybe they bought a house or maybe their their funds are intertwined, it, it can just become really complicated. Mm-hmm. But I think education really helps. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, you know, continuing on that with, you know, telling your story and that kind of stuff and the things that you're doing with your podcast and just all of the various things that you are doing, um, that you're doing that now and it's bringing an encouragement and that light of Christ to women who are in some of these situations. Um, Can you tell me about, you know, what are some lies maybe that you see women, whether they're being abused or whether they're just, you know, in a a situation that's not ideal or they're single moms, whatever the case would be. um, You know, what kind of lies do you see these women repeatedly kind of believing about themselves um, and their their circumstances? I I think the number one thing is that they don't believe that they can have better and that they can um, really reach this unbelievable place. Like God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That's what his word says. Mm -hmm. And so your dreams, your very dreams, the things that you think about and dream about, you know, when you go when you think about your future, they are, they are achievable. And so um, I think that that's the number one lie that we should dismantle. Um, mm-hmm. And also that your children won't be anything. Yes, they will be. And, and I believe that children of those situations um, can, can be greater and will be greater than mm. than what we've ever been. My yeah. son is actually, he's just makes me proud every day. My oldest, he he's responsible. He, you know, the the COVID shut college down early, mm-hmm. so all the children or all the college students they got a refund, and he used his to buy a car. So he he got a car, and he's um, going to work every day, and mm-hmm. he's working out and still conditioning himself and getting ready for when he starts sports again. He's just mm-hmm. a responsible kid. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, I just believe he's going to do even greater things than me and his dad. And so just continue to believe that for your children too. They don't, they're not going to go to jail. They're not going to be criminals. They're not mm-hmm. going to need, need assistance from the state. They're going to do greater things than you did. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and how often we think that because we're struggling in front of our kids, that that's mm-hmm. a disadvantage to them when right. often they can see us struggling and pushing and that can be an inspiration to them. It really can be. And if you listen to people who, um, you know, maybe are on TV, like I watch Shark Tank a lot. Okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I love Shark Tank um, because it gives a lot of business insight. Mm-hmm. And so all the sharks have a story. Mm-hmm. And so they have a story of where they've come from, you know, how they've grown up and, and mostly all of them, they're ugly. Mm-hmm. And so you can just look at other people and know that you'll be all right. Mm, that's if, really if you believe. Yeah. Yeah. Because you also have a choice to stay and believe the lies and, you know, continue to be a statistics and, and mm-hmm. you know, and not thrive, but you can do anything. I think it gives you more of a, of fuel to keep on pushing when we, when we have these little reasons around us. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 They're <laughs> counting on us every day. And you're Absolutely. right though. There's a, there's a choice there of saying, you know, okay, if this is my story, I can either see this as the thing that's going to catapult me because mm-hmm. I'm going to learn through this. And I'm going to grow through this, or this is the thing that is going to be my undoing. And am I okay with that? Because I could still be living in the projects. Sure. Sure. I could, I could have not, you know, decided to get married. I could have, you know, decided to just live with him and, or date him or, mm-hmm. you know, continue to be promiscuous. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could have decided not to go to college because like I said, they would, that's incomplete. So if I didn't work, I could have stayed there. Well, and I think the thing about this too, when you talk about like the difference, I think is shame, you know, when you, yeah. when you, when you're attaching and you got this story and you're like, okay, if you, if you allow yourself to stay in the shame of it, mm-hmm. it's, I think the thing that helps me always to pull back is just to remember, like, that's from the enemy. That is yes. the enemy. Like, if we think about really that all the stuff we're dealing with is between the light and the dark, you know, mm-hmm. like, which way am I going to go? That's it. I'm not, if, if I can see it that clearly and be like, oh, I don't want him to have any part of my life and my kid's life and my future. Like, Absolutely. I reject that. <laughs> yes. How much easier it is to say, yes. all right, maybe it doesn't look how I thought it could or should, but that doesn't mean I'm I'm without light and I'm I'm out of bounds of what God wants to do with it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. knowing that you have that authority to reject mm. whatever he sends, like mm-hmm. we have power and authority over the enemy. Yeah. Wow. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, um, shifting also though. So, you know, that's, you know, a lot of times what moms are believing about themselves or their circumstances, but I think there's also a struggle and I've had this where mm-hmm. there's also misconceptions and lies about single mothers that whether it's culture or the church or whomever put on a woman who's in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some misconceptions that, you know, you see maybe need to be addressed when it comes to the way that, that culture, um, basically the outside is kind of viewing single moms and especially, you know, single moms, um, of color. Yeah. I think that it's very unfortunate that once someone is a single mom, it's kind of, you know, this, downward look that they that they have to receive um from from everyone mm-hmm. um but i think that as i was thinking 
earlier today, I remember the quote that said, um, it takes a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe not everyone receives that, but I do. I do. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. So I understand that now, yes, the single mom has children that she has to raise, but it's our duty to grab her hand and help her to also raise her children mm-hmm. um, in, in any way that we can. Not that we need to give her money or um, help her take care of her children. No, but give them kind words, give them guidance. You know, when you say some, when you give someone kind words or um, speak over their life and um, give them life through words, they hold on to that. And mm-hmm. how many of us can think back to a moment in time where someone said something really powerful to us and we still remember the quote? Yeah, yes. There's such power in our mm-hmm. words words of life. And so mm-hmm. we should um, speak life over these single moms instead of making them feel like they're cursed, um, you know, and their children are cursed that, mm-hmm. you know, um, continue to encourage them and, um, you know, help them to push through because not everyone has a support system. Like I, I had a support system. Right. And I think that um, single moms of color, I, I decided to live in the projects. And so that is my story. But I think that a lot of single moms are looked at like they live there anyway. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and some of them don't. Mm-hmm. Some of them have one child and are pushing through nursing school and are, are living, you know, in wonderful places. Um, but I think that we shouldn't look at women of color like they are the bottom of the barrel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we are all the same. We are all souls. We are all yeah. human beings. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Just, all children it, of God, right? Are, all children of God. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I do know that skin color does make a difference because I've been unfortunately racially profiled, even just shopping in the mall and mm-hmm. asked to, to, um, you know, hi, can I hold your stuff while you continue to shop? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't think anything of it, mm-hmm. but I went back and I was like, is that store protocol or did you just ask me? Mm. And she just asked me. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I didn't realize that that's what was happening. Um, So, unfortunately, skin color does make a difference. But um, in dealing with single moms, if we could just push that to the side. I think we as a world right now are just having to, mm-hmm. um, to embrace, yeah. um, embrace that and, um, not cause them to be in such a place of hurt because of the color of their skin. Yeah. But really believers, we have a duty. We have a duty to, um, embrace all people and not to allow that toxic into, into the body of Christ. Yeah. Yes. That's absolutely. And I, and what you're saying as far as support and community, I mean, it's obvious from your story, how for you, it was able to, you were able to do that through your church and your family very primarily. Um, and that's similar for myself, but I think, um, the thing I'm keenly aware of is how many single moms don't have that and mm-hmm. do rely on people to notice them 
And Mm -hmm. when everybody's kind of just going through their own thing or whether they have a judgment of like, oh, she will, she did this to herself or, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff that very, very often that's what keeps people away from, from realizing that this woman has needs. And even if that's just someone to come over for an afternoon and throw football with their sons, or, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, I'll have people drop in here and, you know, they're just watching movies with the kids or brushing the girl's hair, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like that people don't understand. I think even just those small kindnesses, right. How far that goes in the life of not just the mom, but her kids. Yeah, it really does. Mm -hmm. And even, even just grabbing the mom and, you know, saying, you know, it's going to be all right. And God has a wonderful purpose for you and you're going to go far. Just words of affirmation Mm -hmm. can go a long way. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that goes into sort of the next question I was going to ask you as far as, you know, single moms kind of find themselves in the middle of all of these things and and a lot of these misconceptions. And like I said, you know, this, she did it to herself or, you know, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's tough because there are some real heavy issues that single moms often find themselves in the middle of and things we've talked about, things like abuse and divorce and race, poverty, all these things that people maybe don't even really want to talk about. And they kind of just want to not, not think too much about it. But the fact is there's women who are raising kids alone, who are in the middle of all of these various issues. So, Uh you know, how do you think that with, you know, the body of Christ, I really feel like is the place where a lot of this should start. I think that the church, you know, as believers, we need to be able to see those women and see their children and say, Oh, I got to step in there and help that woman. Yeah. So how do you think that, you know, we kind of can build a sense of greater understanding, you know, when it comes to women who are in these situations? Yeah, I think that um, greater understanding always comes from education. And, um, you know, these conversations are very uncomfortable, Mm. but having them is very needed because how else will we learn and understand why, you know, these things happen and um, give hope and, um, you know, just understanding to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having conversations, reading books, watching documentaries on TV um, to give understanding as to how and why these situations often happen. Um, I think that geographically, um, I, I was watching a documentary the other day and it was about just inner city teens growing up, but they were following a certain young woman. And um, by the end of doc- the documentary, she had gotten pregnant and she was 17. And I, I started to get a little heavy hearted and I was like, oh my goodness, that w- I was only 15. Mm-hmm. And although I know that, I think looking at how young she was being pregnant and pushing through school and, and then her children's father goes to jail mm-hmm. and, and, just understanding how common that is in inner city, mm-hmm. but why it is so common. Um, it helps to, to just um, understand someone when they come in, into your path. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, they're uncomfortable and yeah, it might not be what you want to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but understanding how things happen um, is it, just really helpful. And also equipping equipping your team. I just, I, I just, you know, as believers and as women 
men, leaders in the kingdom, we, we have a duty to lead. And, mm-hmm. and although, yes, we have the governor, we have the senator, we have the mayor that lead our country, you know, we, we, we know that we serve a God who is in control above them. Mm-hmm. And so, but we have a duty to lead the hearts of the people that we have direct contact with. Yeah. And I, I, th- I agree with you that seeking out the stories that we don't understand mm-hmm. just helps open that door of compassion And I think that's the greatest thing that I feel like a lot of single moms just feel like they don't have is someone or a community that's really very compassionate about the fact that however I got here doesn't really matter. I just need help. (laughs) I just need help. And there's also, um, (laughs) there's also the law of first truth. So a lot of times when we see something, um, you know, something may come into our head, you know, we Mm -hmm. see we see an apple, we think about a teacher or, you know, sure. different things, but yeah. um, the law of first truth plays a, a big role and we have to dismantle the things that are not healthy mm-hmm. thinking uh, about people. We should have a heart of compassion towards all people. Right. Right. And I and, think when you're talking about educating, you know, not each individual woman, I think that's a difficult part is feeling like, a single mom may feel like, well, I need to educate the people around me to understand what I'm going through so that I can get help. But not everybody feels comfortable doing that or knows they need to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just thankful because I know people have put, uh, God has put people like you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to advocate for those, you know, um, who aren't able or aren't comfortable or don't know how to speak, you know, those needs out there so that the greater community and the church can see those, you know, women who are in need. And yeah. that they can start to get, you know, just that, just boost their confidence and know that people do see them and that they're not alone. They're not weird. They're not uh-huh. without, you know, like right. out of the bounds of God's love. And I just love what you're, you're doing to encourage women who are in that spot. And I, and I think that um, the church should be a resource for mm-hmm. moms you know, a lot of single moms go to church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Um, inner city and suburban, they go to church. So mm-hmm. um, if anything, the church should be very educated on single moms yeah. and, and what is needed to help and be a resource. And then also, if you have a heart towards women, um, just educating yourself on how you can be a resource. Mm-hmm. for for moms like I just had a single moms virtual support group for young moms mm-hmm. I did it in in May and that was just something I did because the Lord led me to so mm-hmm. I had just about 10 young women and we met every Friday and we talked um you know we just talked you know I let them share what they were going through and um some of them were in very toxic relationships so I, I was just like wow god this is you know this is really crazy yeah. just you know you never know why god is leading you to do something mm. um but just hearing what these young women were going through um in their relationships and raising their children you just you need to speak to the young women you know mm-hmm. don't just um look at them and you know shove them to the corner, even in your mind, if you don't do it physically, um, you know, get to know them because they're people, you know, they just had children and, um, 
And that's the way that kind of the world is. Um, that's the state that that the world is in. I think that people don't value marriage mm. as much anymore. Mm-hmm. So women are being left to raise children mm-hmm. by themselves. And um, it, it's, it's ignorant to not want to um, serve and educate. Yeah. Well, and I think as a a woman who's gone through so so much that it gives such a great sense of purpose to the pain that you've experienced to know when you've come out the other side and then you see those, those younger women who are going through it at the Mm -hmm. same, you know, same age as you, where you can see yourself, like you were even saying in that documentary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those things where, you know, it, it just, to me, when I'm in that situation, just connects me so greatly to the heart of God to be like, I know why these things happen in yes. some sense that now this is where you're calling me to. And yes. this is how this light is going to continue to pass on. And so as much as we're also talking about, you know, the, the church identifying single moms and being able to reach out that mm-hmm. there's power in being in the middle of that messy middle for, a single, for a single mom to be able to, to look at those younger ones and say, I see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and not be ashamed of being a single mom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it happens and um, you might not be a single mom, but things happen. People experience alcoholism. People experience addiction mm-hmm. um, with not just drugs, but with pornography, with sex. People experience um, many different things, many right. different forms of needing God. And so single moms, you know, that's just your form. Right. It just, it just. <laughs> it will just draw you closer to God if you allow it to. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite, I'm terrible sometimes at memorizing and quoting scripture. One of my favorite ones um, on this subject is that it says that God comforts us so that we may comfort people in the same way. And when I think about that same way, I think about that as whatever your trial was. So if it was addiction or if it was, Mm -hmm. you know, abuse or whatever it was that you're, you being called to comfort people in that same way is how God is going to use your circumstance to draw draw him to you and to someone else in the same, same circumstance. Wow. Because there's (laughs) nothing new under the sun, right? That's right. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. So history will repeat itself. That's right. Um, so as we kind of wrap up here, Camille, what is one uh-huh. thing that you would want, you know, as, as we're kind of partying and, and talking about single moms and, you know, wh- how to encourage them? What is one thing that you think every single mom should know? Um, one thing is that you are not stuck. Um, you can achieve anything that you put your mind to from a young mom, single mom to an old single mom. Um, and being a single mom does not define you. You are who God says you are Mm -hmm. and focusing on who God says you are helps you to be able to, um, dismantle that label of being a single mom. You are a powerful woman and, um, if you continue to walk closely with God, he will do amazing things in your life. Mm, I'm that. sorry. I know that was more than one. No, that's good. <laughs> that's all tied together. You are not stuck. That's, that is how that yes. all comes together. Yeah. You are not stuck. Oh, Camille, I have so enjoyed this conversation. I'm so thankful that uh, for just all the little bits of wisdom and, and things that you shared with us. Um, I want to know if you just would tell us about um, 
ways that listeners can connect with you and find out more about what you're doing to to encourage women yes um i am the host of the moments of joy podcast um and so you can connect with me there um it's available mostly wherever podcasts are available apple google spotify um, pandora and iHeartRadio, and my website is camille-joy.com um, and you can follow me on social media, um, Instagram or Facebook at Moments of Joy Podcast. And so right now I am just hosting the podcast. I've just launched um, Christian Apparel, um, which is Moments of Joy Apparel. And I just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. So I never know what I'll be doing next. <laughs> like I said, we just finished the um, single moms support group. And so I'm sure I'll be doing something else soon. Awesome. Well, we're looking forward to seeing what that is and the ways God's going to use you in that. So mm-hmm. that's very exciting. I was so encouraged by Camille's story. I really hope you were also. Make sure you check out Camille's podcast and connect with her at camille-joy.com. Before we go, I also want to make sure that you're aware of a new resource we have at Agape Moms. It's called The Seven Loneliness Traps. It's a free guide that you can go right to the website and download to discover which of the seven loneliness traps that you're falling into that are maybe creating this feeling of loneliness that's just really hard for you to get past. You know, Camille was talking about you are not stuck. And so this is a resource to help you to not only identify what traps you're falling into, but really discover what the ways out are. And as I said, that's for free. It's available at agapemoms.com. In the meantime, you can connect with me and Agape Moms on social media. So whether that's Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, uh, there's actually a playlist on Spotify as well if you want to download that with some encouraging music. Thank you so much for joining in with me today. And I look forward to having you with me next time.